1: My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here at Dolio Winery with Pam and Don Clace. I should have asked how to pronounce that before. Pam and Don Clace. Uh, it's June 20th, 2017, uh, and my first question for you guys is why wine?
2: Well, we had an interest in wine for quite some time, but it really starts back um, in uh, the area where we grew up. We both uh, were from Pennsylvania. I grew up on a dairy farm. Pam lived in a farming community and so we, we worked in the agricultural business as high schoolers, teenagers, and then uh, went to college and kind of went into the high-tech world and then years later we thought you know it would be nice to get back to the country and so we left the suburbs and moved over into the country here in Battleground Washington and then decided we needed to do something with our land and we tried animals we had draft horses for a while but those things required a lot of uh, extra work and we thought the kind of work we wanted to do was something that we could produce a product that we could have for sale and people could come and enjoy, and wine was a natural fit for that. So we started out experimenting with grapes, growing grapes, and then the natural uh, step was to move into winemaking. So that's kind of how we got there.
1: And so I know you did quite a, you you kind of mentioned a little bit, you did quite a lot before you started building. Can you kind of take us through kind of your, your history together?
2: Sure, so we met actually um, in high school. We were in the junior high band together. Awesome. And uh, He was
1: the drum
0: major. <laughs> in,
2: high, in high school, we were in the band and the choir and the play together, and then we went off to college, we went to Penn State first, and then I'm a year ahead of her, so I graduated, I moved to Rochester, New York for work, and then a year later, she came to Rochester, New York. We got married in 1984, and then uh, moved to the West Coast and that move took us to Southern California. I had family members down there and we stayed there for uh, three years and then moved to Oregon for work. And then we were in Oregon until 2003 when we moved over here. So that's kind of briefly how uh, we came together. So it's been 33 years since we stayed together. Stayed together. Right? Yeah.
1: So when you started, you said you kind of started experimenting with grapes. So how did you go about that? You have a farming background, but not necessarily a viticulture. So we
2: had uh, we had some grapes on the farm that were more or less for eating, and I always enjoyed, you know, just sort of harvesting the grapes. And then when we lived uh, in the suburbs of Portland, we we always had a couple grapevines along with blueberries and cherries, and we were always just experimenting there. And then when we came over here. Um, We went to another vineyard here and and the owner said, you should grow grapes. So he gave us some cuttings and we propagated the plants and got started and then learned how to take care of the vines. But on the winemaking side, we had no knowledge of that. So we started out by going to the local brew shop and bought a a wine kit. Mm And made wine and and it was it was a wine kid wine it wasn't very good (laughs) but we learned about the steps of fermentation and the problems you could run into so then from there we thought well okay this is great but we need to work with grapes so we bought 100 pounds of grapes the next year and made wine from that and learned and then we thought okay now we need to do it on a bigger scale so the next year we bought 1200 pounds and in our driveway like many people start out we Destemmed, crushed the grapes, made the wine, and bottled it, and then gave it away to a lot of our friends to get <laughs> feedback. Mm-hmm. And once we had that feedback, we sort of knew uh, where we needed to improve and also what we were doing right. So we started out then in 2013 with our first vintage, and a lot of that vintage was based upon knowledge that we gained in that trial and experimentation phase. Mm-hmm. Plus, also we we read a lot, we learned what winemakers were doing there's a there's a huge volume of publication out there that's available and so we did that Uh, and then following on with that we we joined the washington state university extension enology program and we completed that in 2015 and so that was the basis of our enology winemaking learning and experience Mm -hmm.
1: You talked about kind of the continuing education. That's something I'm interested in because you've done multiple education after your original education. So what was your kind of impetus to go back, going back to Washington State?
0: Uh, Going back to Washington State was to make sure that our winemaking was on par. And what we learned was it was. Um, We just recently got some awards. We got one this year, a double gold in our Primitivo from the Seattle Wine Awards, and last year we entered uh, some wines and got uh, a silver for Barbera from the Cascadia Wine Competition, Mm -hmm. and a bronze for our Gruner-Veltliner from the Seattle Wine Awards. All three of those wines were completed, winemaking-wise, prior to us getting our certificate.
2: Okay. Wow.
1: um, That's
2: pretty impressive. yeah. Yeah. It was, it was validation. Once when we got that award, the double gold, that we really, were, handling this process properly. Mm-hmm. And we have scientific backgrounds, both of us, so we approach winemaking from a very scientific perspective. But not only scientific. There's a definite art uh, aspect to making wine, and mm-hmm. so we learned through the Washington State course that. Sensory evaluation is really really critical and important to understand and that was probably the biggest um, uh, Plus for us is to have been able to go into their lab and work with their food scientists and understand You know why a good wine is a good wine? Mm-hmm. and of course their knowledge guys are probably some of the best in the world mm-hmm. and uh, So we, we really feel fortunate that we live here and we're able to uh, tap into that resource
1: Tell me what you mean by sensory evaluation.
2: So oftentimes, you know, wine has properties of aroma and taste that vary over time with aging mm-hmm. and you have to be able to sort out the good things from the bad. There are difficult things that can happen in winemaking and you have to be able to identify them and correct them before they get out of control. So sensory is a is an excellent way of determining if you have a poten- a potential problem coming and um aroma when i walk into the winery the first thing i do is smell and if i smell something off Mm -hmm. different not clean not fresh then i need to start looking for the source interesting and uh, looking involves you know just walking around the winery looking at barrels as well as tasting
1: so I noticed that when you talk about making wine, you talk about we. So do you both? Are you both making wine together? Are you both considered winemakers? I would wine makers? consider
0: myself a wine making assistant. Okay. Um, Don makes all of the decisions regarding fermentation, and um, I'm, i I participate in adding nutrients and punch mm-hmm. down and all of that. So we it is definitely a team effort. Um, we we do everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, It just makes it go a little bit faster, and and cleaning is so (laughs) time-consuming, it's so important and Mm -hmm. so time-consuming, so we're a very good team in that I'm really good at prepping stuff and um, getting things ready for him to say, okay, we're ready to do this step. Mm.
2: And she does most of the marketing work, uh, especially she does all the graphic design and Uh, social media content, and this is really critical today because um, for a small business that is a direct-to-customer model, um, you really have to be able to reach out to the customer base and appeal to them, and so Pam does all the the artwork design for the labels and uh, the website design and all the social media work too.
1: So is that something you had a previous interest in, or was that some sort of a necessity?
0: Oh it started out as something fun. I used to do a little, uh, when my kids were little, I used to do a newspaper for the kids mm-hmm. and just takes events that had happened but twist them and make them funny. And it started out of these little newsletters and then uh, that was when we lived in the suburbs when we moved here. I started doing a farm newsletter and talking about, well, we got sheep this week, or we got we had lambs this week, or whatever the news was, and um, that kind of evolved into me doing a newsletter for uh, an organi- local organization, and well, here we are. We're, it just kept evolving. Nice.
1: So I'm I think I have the timeline right. Prior to going to Washington State, you was when you attended Linfield. Is that right? That is correct. So you're Linfield alums. You went back and got your uh, distance distance continuing education degree in management. So tell us about that decision and, and sort of that experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, after um, Penn state we had we had moved around the country quite a bit. I had worked in a number of different environments, but my mother was always very clear about her expectation <laughs> for me having a bachelor 's degree and I was the youngest of four kids, and all the other kids had gotten bachelor 's degrees and or master 's and so uh, it was something that I needed to do. I actually started some schooling in Rochester more of on an engineering track, but then decided i didn 't want to do that and so when we were living in Portland, we had started a family with small kids, and it was it was important for me to get back and get my uh, bachelor's degree. So there there were not a lot of programs at that time. There were a handful, but uh, Linfield, due to its proximity uh, in Portland, was, was very convenient for us from where we lived, and so it was just the right thing to do. So I was working full-time, had kids at home, so I started... Um, in 1991, and I finished it over, I think it was eight years. So I, I went to school with some people who were taking three or four courses at a time mm-hmm, to get done, mm-hmm. but I just didn't feel for me that was the right thing, and so I finished it in eight years. And then when I was done, then she started. I made it a point that she needed to do it. <laughs> and so then she started after, after I finished.
0: And it took me six years. Yes. So, it's a
2: long time
1: on field experience, we yes, like it, we like yes.
0: it. Yes, and, and, and again, I, I did appreciate the Portland campus mm-hmm. because of how local it was. I actually appreciated the weekend courses down at the college too, because it just kind of grounded you to the college experience as well, and um, it just was overall a very good experience.
1: Good. Did you feel, uh, as sort of Justin said, not not on campus too often? Did you feel connected to the Linfield community? Did you feel like Linfield students?
0: I would say, yes. I would say that we felt there. You definitely connected with the people in your classes because oftentimes. They were the people that you had you went almost that whole entire time with mm-hmm. they were kind of going the same path almost the same I would agree. same time okay. you know taking six years to make it happen or three years, but still you were spending a significant amount of time with them sure and so that camaraderie, especially with the students was there. I felt that the rapport with the teachers was also very good too it was It was just a very good experience good
1: and I, I, have you seen a direct kind of correlation to your future? Like, did, can, you, can you say my Linfield degree helped
2: me start my winery? For me, absolutely. Uh, it, it, it just sort of going back before the winery, after I got my Linfield degree, I left uh, the company I had worked with here in Portland and then joined um, an international electronic semiconductor company. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked there from 97 until 2004, then moved to a sister company. Um, and at that company, um, I was uh, I start, went in as a marketing head, and then I became vice president of sales, and then I became CEO. Wow. And so prior to moving over to this job in the winery full-time in 2015, I was a North American CEO for a German semiconductor company for five years. So it definitely had an impact. Sure. There was no, no question about it. Sure.
0: For me, I was a stay-at-home mom. However... Um, in our life it's go big or go home and so when we get involved with anything um, it's big so we had draft horses we had um, 32 sheep at one time we we had a lot of things going on and management whether it's managing people Mm -hmm. or we still had to manage things here as far as making sure that you know everything was running Mm -hmm. like clockwork Mm -hmm. and um, so and then two kids at home as
2: well. Sure. And during that time, I was traveling with with my other job every week. Mm -hmm. So the burden of keeping everything going here was clearly on Pam's shoulders. And so that's where that being able to, you know, kind of coordinate complex things and pull them all together was was really important. And even in the winery today, the winery can be very complex. Uh, There are times when it's very easy. There's not a whole lot going on, and then all of a sudden, it becomes very complicated because you're dependent on others for, mm-hmm. for critical things. And whether it's barrels or wine bottles or screw caps or labels, there's a lot of coordination. And you might think, well, it's not that big of a deal, but it's it's everything is time-driven. This is farming. Mm-hmm. This is an agribusiness. And uh, there are t- time deadlines and pressures, and there are uh, problems that happen that you don't expect, and you have to deal with them. Uh, quickly, efficiently, and uh, otherwise, you you'll be out of business. Sure, sure.
1: So, when you started your business, you decided you decided to go into wine. Did you ever consider going to the Willamette Valley or going to a more established wine region, or why did you decide to stay here?
2: No, I, it was clear for us that this was the place to be, and and this is one of the perks of of Washington. In Washington, you can get any grape varietal. Delivered to you almost per, in perfect condition, and and that's just a phenomenal advantage for us as a winery. Um, we deal with vineyards that are actually engaged in shipping grapes across the country, mm-hmm. so um, they're very professional. They do an excellent job, and and it's like in our backyard. It's such a wonderful experience to have. We can get uh, any kind of grape we want on relatively short notice, um, with with excellent results. So. When it came to think about where do we want to do this, it was, it was Washington. That was basically what we decided and to this day we're focused on producing wines from Washington grown grapes.
1: And you make Italian wines mostly, so why, why that choice?
2: Well we focus on Italian red varietals and the reason we do that is because uh, first of all it's a marketing decision. In the area here in Clark County, Washington the wineries uh, that were established here really weren't focusing on a line of Italian red wines. You could find a Sangiovese at one winery, or a Barbera at another one, but we felt that if we concentrated on five of them, Sangiovese, Barbera, Dolcetto, Nebbiolo, and Primitivo, the customers would find value in that. Mm And in addition, we decided that having a white wine program, a good white wine program was important, but also one with unique wines. So, for example, Gruner Veltliner. Gruner Veltliner is an Austrian grape, but it's not widely planted here in the United States. We do have the advantage of having that here in Washington, and so uh, we do produce that wine too.
1: And I notice you have, you have your own grapes as well. Do you have, what percentage of grapes are you growing versus sort of importing?
2: I'll let you handle that
1: one.
0: I would say that it's probably less than 10 percent.
1: Okay.
0: Again, where we live, we live north of the Willamette Valley. We can grow Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay. Actually, we can grow anything, but to get them ripe is another Mm -hmm. (laughs) story. And so, even with the number of miles north of the Willamette Valley that we are, we struggle to hit the bricks or the sugar content Mm -hmm. that we really want. And so um, we do make wine from our grapes. Um, it's important for us to have the vines because we are a winery. And it's ni- we, we actually, because we're not inside an AVA, can't say that any of our, our wines that we make from our grapes are estate grown mm, grapes. Okay. That's by law. Okay. Um, so, but it's important for us to have that, uh, that part of the wine and vineyard experience here. Um, it's actually, I think, very good for us as well because we understand the problems or the, the work that is involved with these vines mm-hmm. that our vineyard suppliers are going through sure, sure. because they handpick their, their grapes over there as well. Sure. And um, so it gives us a real good appreciation for them as well sure. and the, our customers, in our tasting room, they can sit here and they can look out on the vineyard, and, and we often get compliments on that. So it's an important part of the, the customer experience mm-hmm. as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So you talked about not being in an AVA. Are there other complications with that, or are there other benefits to that?
2: Um, you know, I don't, I don't think, it, for, for the customer base in Clark County, I would say there probably isn't an issue not being part of an AVA. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we had an AVA that was well-established, um, there is definitely a marketing value to that. There's no question about it. But getting to that point um, is, is a very long road, <laughs> a very difficult process. Mm-hmm. And it's a question of differentiation. And, and are we really that differentiated here from, let's say, Puget Sound, which does have an AVA? Um, Pam talked about the Lamed Valley temperature environment versus here. It's probably, you probably down in McMinnville have a two or maybe even three week longer growing period. And for some of these grapes that makes a big difference. Big difference, right. So you know, I, I'm not sure, it's, it wouldn't be high on my priority to go out and let's get an AVA. You know, it's, I think what's more important for us here in southwest Washington is to different, differentiate ourselves so that people in Portland want to come here. Mm-hmm. And that's how we'll grow, is by not only our, our population growing in the county, but also people coming over from Oregon to taste wines, Washington wines. Sure, sure. Especially
1: having Italian varietals, which is a
2: little bit, which is pretty unique. Right, right.
1: Right. So, um, we'll talk about your, uh, your, kind of your customer base a little bit. You mentioned earlier you're mostly direct uh, to consumer. Are you, uh,
2: is that all your business? Are you also uh, distributed? No, we're not distributed. We, we do um, have some restaurants that Um, Use our our product and in Washington you can self-distribute it within the state. Oh cool. So they're local businesses But 90% of our business is direct-to-customer here from our tasting room.
0: I'm sure it's more than that.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it probably is It's probably 95%
1: And So what are the challenges of having that be your your base?
0: The direct-to-customer? Yeah when the customer walks in and says, I didn't know you were here. <laughs>
1: and we hear that a
0: lot. And and that's the the marketing challenge, mm-hmm. which is a huge challenge uh, for me. I grew up in the world where you'd said, which newspaper do I want to put my ad in? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. people are going to read the newspaper. Mm-hmm. We don't have that anymore.
1: <laughs> so
0: um, it's, it's finding the... The search engine optimization mm-hmm. it's finding the right social media and I'm still trying to figure that all out sure. we found that our best marketing is uh, word of mouth and mm-hmm. and we keep hearing we've heard good things about you and your wine and so that's that's our goal sure that's our goal and if that's our best marketing I'll take it right now I mean it's it's we're actually growing Fairly Well, we're, we're having a, a much better year than last year because really people didn't know we were here last year
2: sure. Yeah, I would I would also say the customer base there's um, a, a Wide range of customers some who are very uh, knowledgeable of wine and want to taste wine mm-hmm. and then there are others who want to have wine as part of a, a meal mm-hmm. And so there are restaurants, or excuse me, there are um, wineries here in the county that provide more of a restaurant service as opposed to just a tasting room Mm -hmm. service, and that fits, right? It works for everyone. So um, our goal is to focus on the wine. We feel that we don't want to be distracted from what it is that our charter uh, clearly is, and that is making wine and making exceptional wines that are differentiated so customers want to come here.
1: So what does the name Dolio mean, and why did you choose it?
0: Dolio is Latin for barrel. Why did we choose it? Uh, We didn't want to use our last name, which is Clays, which begins with a K, which is always mispronounced. We are actually the Clauses.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: We didn't really have, uh, we didn't really want to choose something uh, from the area Daybreak was, I don't know if it was taken at the time, but mm-hmm. Daybreak is an area that's close to mm-hmm. us. Um, there, we just decided there were quite a few wineries that already had done that. And uh, so Don was on a business trip and my criteria was to find a name that was short, easy to pronounce, <laughs> memorable, mm-hmm. and close to the beginning of the alphabet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like um, this is where it gets a little unromantic. Um, <laughs> I went on Google Translate, <laughs> and I took words from the winery barrel. I, I just, I can't even remember all of the words that I went through. And um, we found Dolio. And um, we actually met a gal recently uh, who, who learned Latin. Mm-hmm. She's from Germany. Mm-hmm. She, she was a Latin student. she said, You're, it's, it's correct.
1: <laughs>
0: we Like okay, Google Translate did not do us wrong.
1: Right. So that that would be, be bad. <laughs> yes.
0: We did a lot of searching to make sure that yeah. it wasn't yeah. something that we didn't want it to be.
1: And has it worked as you hoped? Have you, has it been memorable? Has it been? We get
0: that question quite a lot, and mm-hmm. people always say, "I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Interesting." So, mm-hmm. and I, I think even with after having asked that question, they'll remember it even more. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So back to winemaking a little bit, do you have uh, a winemaking philosophy?
2: So yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. We, we don't believe that intervention is, uh, over intervention I should say, <laughs> is uh, necessary. So if you start with, and, and this adage has been around for a long, long time, if you start with high quality grapes, your chance of getting a high quality wine is, is greatly improved. So uh, we believe in that. Uh, when the grapes come in we work with them as they are we don't um, want to go down the path of of changing acid levels or sugar levels or anything like that because it just causes more intervention later and so we prefer the grapes just to speak the way they are and uh, we work uh, with them as best we can now there are some times when things don't work out quite right and you have to make adjustments and we do that but I think really our philosophy is to make it as simple and as natural as we possibly can. And fortunately, a lot of the winemaking suppliers, the enology guys, uh, are on that same track. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have a lot of support from those guys, and I think it really pays off.
1: What's the... You, you haven't been in the business for too long but what have you noticed about sort of the the, the knowledge level of your consumer you talked a little bit earlier about people who really want to taste versus want to have a part with a meal mm-hmm. are they pretty knowledgeable about your
2: wines are they really looking to explore italian wines what's what's kind of the typical? well our, our our one area of our focus is education mm-hmm. so we do videos for vine care we've done some for uh, winemaking So we want to educate the customers. We spend a lot of time with our customer base talking to them about why Mm -hmm. and how. Mm -hmm. And they appreciate that. So I would say there is a fair population of wine consumers that is very knowledgeable. And then there's a large proportion that wants to learn and has an interest. And so we teach. Um, We sit down with them and, and talk with them and help them understand why a wine is the way it is. And maybe the differences that you can get between a San Giovese that comes from Washington or one that comes from somewhere else. Interesting.
1: And uh, I know you're part of the North Clark County Wine Trail. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: So we wanted to join forces with some other wineries Mm -hmm. in marketing. And so we have a group together with Pomeroy Cellars and Molten Falls Winery. And we try to find different ways to reach out to people, be it an event or just recently we did a radio ad in Longview. And, um, we did a weekend over Memorial Day where uh, people could come in and purchase a wine glass, a specific wine glass for the wine trail, and then go to each of the three wineries and have a free tasting and get wine club prices. We called it Wine Club for the weekend.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: And um, that, we met a lot of new people sure. through that event. And so we, we just use it as a tool to share uh, customers mm-hmm. um, and also reach new people.
1: So uh, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of background in the Washington wine industry, but of course the Oregon wine industry is always talking about collaboration and working together. Is that Have you found something similar here?
2: Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I think um, winemakers are pretty open uh, to talk about their problems, their successes. Um, I think he, he, for us, we feel a little bit isolated being in Clark County. Mm-hmm. It's not the major wine industry sure. section of, of the state. So more of the state's uh, attention goes to you know, perhaps Woodinville mm-hmm. or Walla Walla, and, and that's just the way it is. It, you have to grow into it. But as we do more things, as we bring out better wines and win more awards, uh, those attentions will be turned our way and then we'll benefit from that. Mm -hmm. So locally, I think there is a great deal of desire to see the entire industry in Clark County uh, accelerate and grow. Um, I think there's good enough diversity here in terms of uh, styles and thinking, so that's good, so we're not all sort of monolithic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we, we really need to find ways of, as I mentioned earlier, connecting to Portland wine drinkers. Mm-hmm. That's the big market. In Seattle, you know, Woodenville benefits from the fact that Seattle is so close mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so our Seattle is Portland and so we have to uh, we have to connect with those wine drinkers. Sure.
1: And so what's the future of
2: Ferdilio Winery? What's it look like in the next 10, 20 years? Well, uh, as Pam mentioned earlier, we've grown substantially over the last year. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to continue to do those things that make us successful, which is customer experience, quality wine, um, low-key environment. People come out here to relax. We get a lot of customers actually coming from Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And although Vancouver is not a large city, Um, It has city and suburb stresses, and Mm -hmm. so people come out here to the country. We're 15 miles away, and it's just a different world here. Mm -hmm. So we're going to continue to provide that customer experience, and I think we'll stay clearly focused on the Italian varietals. We do have some French-style wines, some typical Cabernet Sauvignon, Mm -hmm. or they're universal wines, everybody (laughs) appreciates them, so you, Mm -hmm. you sort of need to have them. But um, we look for opportunities to do new things. We, last year we uh, fermented orange muscat, which yeah. is kind of a new thing for us. Yeah. So we'll look for opportunities like that. But we're, we don't want to be uh, a, a large winery. We want to stay small. Um, the two of us working together is efficient and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it 's just a family business, and that 's the way we want to keep it we, we We want to run it professionally, but we want to keep it small. Do you have a, like an ideal size? You know it sort of depends as as the as the population grows here, I think you know we could probably grow to a thousand fifteen hundred cases a year, um, but right now the county isn 't able to support that, so we 'll stay smaller until mm-hmm. it gets to the point where it can and uh, but, but I think the strategy with the varietal choices we've made is the right one. We hear that time and time again. Um, we don't particularly engage in blending. A lot of wineries focus on blending. We do some, but it's not really our core business. Our core business is straight varietal mm-hmm. red Italian grapes.
1: Do you hope that the business stays in the family? Do you hope your kids will take it over someday?
0: Um... I I think realistically that's not going to happen. Uh, it's pretty clear now that my youngest son hasn't even had any of our wine, and he's just not a wine drinker and he, he's of age. Um, I I think that that, no I, I just, it's not something that I actually even dream of because I know realistically that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So I think we just make the business the best we mm. can and and just experience the uh, the feeling at the end of the day of our accomplishments and the, um, just feel good about the uh, feedback that we're getting and th- that's that's good enough for me mm-hmm.
2: I, I, I think it would be great if they had interest in it. Uh, it would be this is our thing we created this thing <laughs> and so but I want them to have their own thing so. If they want to take Dolio Winery and and make it into the next thing, next level, whatever, that'd be great. But it's got to be something that is their own making. We can provide the basis for them, and it would be great if they took it over. But I would want them to then make it their own. Sure. And and we know
1: from our experiences uh, that the industry can be stressful on on relationships, stressful on families. So what are you? What's your secret? How how you how do you make it work so well?
0: I think our secret has been our secret for thirty three <laughs> years now. Um, we just talk things through. Yeah? We don't stew on things if something's not going right we'll just talk it through i, I mean i don't think we've ever had a yelling kind of battle we
2: you know i think there's a there's a scientific approach to this kind of business right and there's when there's a problem there's a reason for the problem and so we tend to look at the cause mm-hmm. and figure out how can we prevent this or if it's partially desirable how do we make it better mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i think that background is really helpful um
0: that but i also think that this is our livelihood and so we have to approach that Mm -hmm. in that manner and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. by supporting each other we're going to survive and and that goes for business that goes for marriage that goes for life
1: sure yeah it's a good philosophy i like that so you talked a little bit about the, the, the future of the the immediate area winery. What do, you, what do you see happening to Washington, to Northwest wine in the next, say, 10 or 20 years?
2: I, I think um, there's, there's been a tremendous acceptance for Washington wines around the country and, and even around the world. And I think um, the growers, the vineyard guys are doing an excellent job of managing uh, the acreage that they have and uh, the products coming out are excellent. And so from a winemaker's perspective, um, we're the next step in the chain. And fortunately, we have a great research institution in Washington State to help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, frankly, I think it's great that that Linfield is now getting involved because not everybody who goes to Linfield is gonna stay in the Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so let's look for some of those graduates to move into Washington and bring in their style of winemaking sure. and their thinking sure. to add value to the whole thing. I, I feel very positive about Washington. I think it's it's uh, the state has a good idea of what the potential is for this business, and they have done a great job in the last twenty years of getting it to where it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there'll be challenges. There'll be um, it's agriculture. <laughs> there are issues that that are going to pop up and. Fortunately, the state is willing and the industry is willing to put resources uh, forward to solve those problems. So, um, you know, we talk about climate change. That's kind of an interesting discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could be a warmer climate. We could be maybe, uh, you know, finding higher uh, grapes with higher bricks or who, who knows, right? But that's something that I feel very confident the state's resources will come together and find uh, resolution for and they provide good guidance for us, like there a number of years ago, there were quite a few fires in central Washington, and so Washington State put together uh, a protocol for dealing with smoke tainted grapes. So we didn't have that problem, but somebody did, and they were there to help them. So uh, I think that's a testament to the industry's ability to work together. And uh, I, I just feel very pleased to be part of the group here. If I had to move my winery to some other state, I would still want Washington grapes. <laughs> nice. Anything to add to that?
0: Not really.
1: No. <laughs> okay, well, that's all the questions I have for you. Is there anything else I should have asked? Anything else you'd like to add or talk about?
2: Uh, not that I can think of. Not really.
1: no. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah. We really appreciate your time. You're welcome.